We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time. More than a pleasure to have with us in this hour. One of my uh, favorite guests, he's become a great friend to me and the program over the years, but he's also a great friend to manufacturing and to middle-class workers. And uh, we have a jobs report that's going to come out tomorrow. Supposedly, it's going to be better than anticipated, but there's a long way to go. And there are many of you, when you go to the polls next Tuesday, uh, you really think about the economy and specifically jobs, jobs shipped overseas, and jobs in areas like manufacturing. Uh, We're talking within this hour, Scott and Paul. He's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. For years now, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for you as voters, and I'm sure it is as you go to Vote Tuesday. Also, to make it a top-of-mind issue for our national leaders, and we've seen the effectiveness of that as this has been uh, discussed in the debates um, you know, between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And they've done this through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the show, Scott and Paul, president of the AAM. Scott, good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Welcome back. Hey, Leslie, it's a great Thursday in part because my beloved Cubbies are now World Series champions after 108 years. Can you believe it? Yes, I can, because I come from Boston where there's a little team called the Red Sox. And uh, I used to live in Chicago for four years, and um, two of the years that I lived there, I lived in uh, Hawthorne House, an apartment building uh, on Lakeshore Drive between Addison and Belmont. And my, uh, I think I was on the 21st or 27th floor, I was high up, and my back windows, I could open them and hear the game at Wrigleyville. So I, I, I'm a, even though I'm a Red Sox fan, I was rooting for the Cubs. I'm glad they won. However, Scott, I got to tell you, you're going to have a laugh. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, the chance of Donald Trump winning the presidency is like the chance of the Cubs winning the World Series. And when the Cubs won, I'm like, no, don't make this be an omen. No. Uh, but anyway, yeah, congrats to the Cubs. No offense to Cleveland. I know they've been underdogs for years. I lived in Cleveland for three months. Uh, sorry, Chicago is one of my favorite cities. I lived there for four years. And I, I've been rooting for the Cub, a Cubs secretly unless, you know, the Red Sox, uh, you know, were in place. So I'm really happy for them and happy for you because they're your team, Scott, most definitely. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun for folks. I just have great memories being a kid listening or watching WGN first Jack Brookhouse then Harry Carey uh, and Wrigley Field is, is an awesome place like Fenway Park that's also a great place yep. to see a ball green game giant. and it's it is so nice just to, to see that it, it, that reminded me Leslie of a, a tweet apparently Nate Silver did in May where he said Cubs will win the World Series and eight days eight day later Trump will be elected president of the United States um, that's the one I'm referring to, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I believe one, but not the other. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I hope you're right, and I hope that Nate was uh, being facetious and uh, was being wrong. But let's talk about that election. It is uh, around the corner, and it can't come soon. You know, so many people say they're voting early because they're just sick of it. It is a long. It does seem like forever. Three debates have been going off a long. It's like more. Seems like more than year a year of our lives. Uh, but let's talk uh, specifically about what states are in play and why, and especially states where. Uh, key industrial states, and, and, and let's look at those. Um, Ohio, 
Um, well, right now, uh, just to let you know, Nate Silver gives uh, Hillary Clinton a 64 percent chance of winning the presidency. And that scares me. That gives Donald Trump 35 percent because every day it seems to go down. And I'm like, wait a minute. What about these polls <laughs> that I'm seeing about uh, early voting in certain states and Democratic uh, voting being up? But, you know, we we, we will see uh, what happens with that. Um, but speaking of the polls right now, Hillary Clinton, let's let's look at those um with some of those battleground states, specifically industrial states, manufacturing jobs are key. Uh, in uh, As of 16 hours ago, according to CNN, um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are now neck and neck in Florida, and there are new results in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Ohio, two of which are very industrial states, and that is Ohio and Pennsylvania, and we'll take a look at a third, uh, which is Michigan. But let's start with um, Ohio. I have to say, and I'm I'm not a betting person, but um, Donald Trump has to win Ohio and others to become president. Hillary Clinton doesn't need it. But if I had to bet, and 538 also bets, that Donald Trump would win this state, but technically, uh, a Republican should be much uh, have a much bigger point spread and be ahead in like double digits, and that is not the case. And I mean, it's really you know uh, you know pretty much neck and neck. And um, right now uh, in Ohio, he has a five point edge in that state up against Hillary Clinton. I, I would expect, quite frankly with, you know, the uh, support he has had in blue-collar communities for that to be higher. But let's talk about Ohio and, and what's at stake, especially for blue-collar workers in Ohio. Yeah, so it is a, you know, it, it's always one of the battlegrounds, and it has been for, you know, virtually every presidential contest uh, that we've seen in modern politics. And, you know, these these factory issues, these trade issues, matter to voters there. And it, it, for, for two reasons, I would say. You know, number one is Ohio's past and the fact that, you know, it was a uh, cities like Youngstown and Cleveland uh, were two of the cradles of the steel industry along with uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And number two, even today, uh, it is a – manufacturing plays an outsized role uh, in Ohio's comp- uh, economy, uh, particularly compared to the rest of the United States. This is a sector that still matters, and so its strength, strength still matters. And, and Leslie, something that we did four years ago, and we'll have these results after the election, is that we looked at all the advertising, and you know, God knows I saw a lot last night during the, the World Series game uh, on, on both sides, and in, in Ohio, uh, voters in Cleveland obviously see a lot of ads this, this time of year. Um, they're, they're full of them, uh, but the, the most ubiquitous image of the last election cycle, and I'm certain it's going to be for this one well, was the factory worker, uh, because both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, want, want, to, want to position themselves to be on the side of American manufacturing, uh, to be on the side of factory workers. And I'll even say, you know, a lot of the ads that I saw last night uh, had scenes of them talking to workers with hard hats. Uh, obviously, policies matter, uh, but both of these campaigns feel that Ohio is an important state. Uh, and that one of the keys to unlocking Ohio uh, is to position yourself as as a made in America champion. In uh, a new slate of state-based polls uh, released yesterday, Hillary Clinton is actually up three points in North Carolina. Donald Trump has now a five-point edge in the state of Ohio. Looking at 538's polling average, he actually is uh, about 1.2 percentage points 
in a three-way race, and that includes Gary Johnson. And Gary Johnson has 5.7%. Does that surprise you I'm talking about Ohio? Well, I, I think, you know, in a sense, not really, because if you consider just from a political perspective now, you know, the sitting governor of Ohio has indicated very publicly, John Kasich, that he, he's not supporting Trump, and he didn't vote for him, and he, and he, he himself wrote in John McCain. Uh, but I imagine that, that it's easier if you're kind of an establishment Republican in Ohio to pursue another course, and, you know, that the, the guy like Kasich uh, gives 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 folks that signal uh, that, that it's okay. So it's it's not particularly surprising to me. And the, the thing about Ohio, and I look, I'll admit, I'm from Indiana. I went to college in, in in Pennsylvania. I drove through Ohio. I spent some time there. I am not an Ohioan, but the thing that I do know about it is that it is uh, you know it has subregions, just like you have microclimates in California. And Cincinnati is very different from Cleveland, uh, and that's very different from the southeast part of the state. Uh, which is different, and that's different than Northeast, which is much more agricultural, uh, along with Toledo. And so, it is. Uh, it doesn't at all surprise me that, that that's the case. But but the one thing that that I've noticed uh, is is that more voters uh, seem to be attracted to uh, to Clinton as a supporter of manufacturing policies and, and trade. And there's there, I, I you know there's also some uh, some some polling preferences that show that uh, as well. And and that she has really caught up and, and, and surpassed Trump uh, as the candidate who more people believe uh, would have better trade policies. And you know, she's been hammering Trump on his outsourcing uh, and on his hypocrisy. Uh, you know, on the other hand, he's been hammering her on NAFTA and a lot of other things like that, but it looks like her message has been pretty effective at getting through. And another thing I want to mention that uh, the African-American vote has a, a decline uh, right now with 24.4 million ballots cast. 1.2 million of those are in the state of Ohio. That's a drop of about 13,000 from 2012. However, historically, African-Americans uh, vote later, and Ohio is one of those states that made it more difficult for those in uh, the uh, African-American communities and elsewhere in those areas uh, within Cleveland and some of those other cities in the state of Ohio um, cut back on the uh, times uh, for early voting. Uh, so we will see. Uh, Donald Trump, um, according to a new in-state poll, has a 5% lead. Um, but uh, I also have to say that according to Quinnipiac's on that 5% lead, 5% also is for Johnson, 2% for Green Party nominee Jill Stein. Uh, Trump has, more str- uh, has gained some strength in Nevada. Hillary Clinton, she's rising in Florida. Donald Trump doesn't need Nevada to be the president, but he does need Florida. Hillary Clinton doesn't. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, right after this. Don't go away. We are back. Scott and Paul is our guest, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding and welcome back. Uh, I want to talk about some of these other states, these industrial states. Um, but I also want to talk about, um, you know, there are those that say that the American elites need to stop mocking the fans of Donald Trump and to listen to the fans of Donald Trump. And we're not talking about the fans that are going woohoo for Muslim bans or negative rhetoric, but with regard to what they're saying you know, regarding jobs and under the umbrella of the economy, because after all, it is the economy, stupid, right? We know that. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, talk to us about this. Right now, we know the U.S. is divided, right? We're divided by race, by class, by education. 
uh, the election, some people would say, is, you know, made us more, uh, you know, divisive in, in our country. Um, minorities overwhelmingly favor Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee. Whites, they're split. It goes along educational backgrounds. Those with a college degree for her. Um, the other kids uh, who are not college educated or people out there um, for him. Um, but much of the reason for that divide lies in the fact that the front row is doing much better than the back row. Those in the back row earn about a fifth less than they did 35 years ago, but that front row now earns more. This is a problem, right? We've talked about this before, Scott, this income inequality, and Trump is actually benefiting in a sense from this inequality that he's benefited from not just as a rich guy, but he's also benefiting from as a candidate. Yeah, yeah, he sure is, and and you know he he's exactly the wrong standard bearer for this cause because he has you know both through his business practices, through some of his policies, including tax policy, uh, and through a variety of of other ways, has indicated he's not really you know he he's not the 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 guy for this you know for the for the American worker, um, but but there there clearly is, and, and and you know we talked about this in the in, in the. Democratic primaries as well. I mean, there is a, uh, you know, there, there's a there's a real sense. Um, there's obviously a frustration with the political system in the United States and the dysfunction um, uh, from from both sides. Uh, but but there is there is economic anxiety, um, and here we are, you know, eight nine years. Uh, uh, after the last recession, we've been in a recovery and we've been in a jobs recovery for about the last seven years. There are still a lot of folks who uh, don't feel like their future is bright. Uh, or, or the future for their kids is bright, and oftentimes, uh, I mean, you, you, we have seen this and we've documented that that in cities that deindustrialized in the '70s, where there was a lot of discrimination against African Americans, I mean, that you, I mean, you have seen the social uprising uh, that's been sparked by. Uh, by, by by inappropriate uh, police action um, uh, in those communities, uh, but in the countryside as well, and in these small towns that have one factory maybe that's the center of employment, and that closed closes down, and there's not a lot of mobility, labor mobility, and people uh, feel stuck, and then they're working a couple of jobs, and they're even making less money, and they no longer have benefits, and they they see this erosion, um, and they do. Feel like no one is necessarily looking out for them, and and, and they get preached to uh, that you know oh you're you know we'll, you'll you'll get retrained you'll move on uh, things will be better this is a perfectly natural process and we don't want those jobs anyway uh, and so you know I, I don't know how you feel but when I feel very dismissed I mean I I, I get I get upset about that and I want to you know I, I want to find a way to uh, to have my voice expressed and and I think that unfortunately. You know, a lot of that has, has has come through come through Trump, but but it's it's filtered along with a lot of incredibly undesirable stuff. So um, so there is a I think there's a need to address some of these underlying issues that range from economic opportunity uh, to mobility uh, and addressing the opioid crisis as well. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot to, there's a lot uh, that we need to do here. Uh, uh, but but a better trade policy 
and uh, a look at what's really going to help workers is definitely a piece of that, and it shouldn't be dismissed uh, along with the the other baggage that that Trump uh, bring brings along. Let's look at some other industrial states. Pennsylvania, she has a forty eight percent. Uh, polling uh, over uh, Donald Trump's 44% lead, according to a Monmouth University poll released yesterday. By the way, they are A-rated, and the A-rated seem to be uh, more accurate. Uh, It indicates that her lead has actually shrunk since the summer. Another Monmouth University poll showed her uh, leading uh, by double digits, um, and she's still in the lead. Uh, The race has tightened in the past uh, four weeks. Uh, The shift, by the way, was before the FBI uh, bombshell. only 4% of registered Pennsylvania voters say that that FBI dump, by the way, uh, made them uh, change their mind. Uh, but Trump has regained some support among white voters, uh, particularly among white women, uh, despite the nearly month-long spotlight of allegations uh, on him and the lewd behavior with women. But when it comes to non-white voters, uh, Clinton just wore some 83 uh, to 9%. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton continues to dominate in areas that have historically predicted the winner of the statewide race in Philly and the surrounding suburbs. Uh, she leads him by 62 to 29%. Um, uh, talk about uh, let's talk about Pennsylvania. There are similarities in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, and even Wisconsin. We've got to take a break. When we come back, Scott, you know, we, we talked about Ohio. We're going to talk specifically more about Ohio, but I want to touch upon uh, some of these other states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, where she is leading. Ohio, he is leading. And uh, Michigan, she's still leaning, leading. Uh, he has uh, closed the gap a bit, and some would say that's expected. Back with Scott Paul from the AAM right after this. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. I also want to tell you that GEICO has been saving people money for over 75 years, and we're always excited when we add new members to the Leslie Marshall listening family. Today, we welcome KEVTAM in Tucson, Arizona, uh, technically Sararita, Arizona, KEVT 1210 AM. All of you welcome, and give us a buzz, 8886-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is Zinaba. Let's get back uh, to our guest, Scott. And Paul, president of the Alliance of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Scott, thanks for holding. Welcome back. I was asking you, and we were talking about Ohio. I want to talk some, about some specifics, but um, let's talk about Pennsylvania. Similar struggle with Pennsylvania, or is it a tad different? I mean, you know, again, heavy industrial, uh, heavy manufacturing state. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little different than Ohio in that there, you know, the manufacturing in Pennsylvania uh, is is not nearly what it once was. Uh, it the, the steel end of things uh, is concentrated in the uh, in the western part. I mean, there is a little bit in the east, but the you know it, it's uh, the suburbs uh, dominate. But something you said reminded me of the 2012 campaign where you know it looked like Romney's path to uh, a majority of electoral college was was pre- was pretty slim uh you know non-existent almost and they made a last second play for Pennsylvania as well um and so it seems like it's always one of those states that uh in some ways uh has great appeal that does close um and having gone to college in the central part of the state i can tell you that that is very very conservative um very rural uh very different from the philly suburbs uh but but they can never quite get the job done 
Uh, it's also fair pointing out that trade's a big issue there. Uh, a lot of ads have been run uh, at, the, at the Senate level, um, as, as well as uh, back and forth between the between the campaigns. Uh, and it's where Trump gave a big speech about he was going to be a friend of steel and bring back steel and bring back coal uh, uh, a little earlier uh, in the general election campaign. Uh, and then it was you know a few weeks after that, if you'll remember, Leslie, that uh, the the revelations that uh, Trump in fact used Chinese steel uh, in some yes. of his big building uh, projects came out, and and I'm, I'm I, I'd be pretty sure that that's eroded some confidence in his uh, among supporters and folks who were thinking about voting for him uh, in, in his ability to, to to realistically stand up for steel. I want to talk about another state, and that's uh, Michigan. Uh, in uh, Michigan, um, 538 has Hillary slated, you know, over 70 percent to win that state. Uh, a lot of different polls showing, you know, that she has a lot of strength in that state, even some di- double-digit leads. But it does show that after a lot of the dumps and WikiLeaks, people over 65 years of age have, uh, you know, maybe shied away from her. Trump, you know, is gaining a bit. But we do see that, Scott. Don't we see that in elections that, you know, uh, when we get closer to, you know, D-Day to or V-Day, voting day, election day, E-Day, uh, next Tuesday, that um, things, uh, you know, tighten up. Um, you know, Michigan, if, you know, you, you not had to bet, but who, who do you think would, you know, get, gather more support? And talk to us about Michigan um, in comparison to Pennsylvania and Ohio as an example. Yeah, well, well, Michigan is, and if, if memory serves me correctly, I mean, I think Bernie Sanders beat her in Michigan. Yes, know, he upset, did. Yes, upset he did. Her in, in Michigan, um, and 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 the, the trade message has a lot of appeal there, and you know, it goes to uh, NAFTA, um, which a lot of auto workers uh, think of the negative for them, uh, and just the whole the, the whole manufacturing ecosystem in Michigan that got impacted by that. And I, I think back. Uh, to the the famous kind of Reagan Democrats uh, that that the pollster Stan Greenberg identified in kind of suburban Detroit, uh, the you know white ethnic blue collar folks who socially conservative, economically populist, um, uh, who who you know again have felt the winds of globalization and had been reliable Democratic supporters, but you know shifted their allegiance to Reagan. Uh, it's gone back and forth, but I know that I saw uh, uh, Trump was in Warren, Michigan, which is kind of the epicenter of this, right. you know, this, this Reagan Democrat uh, territory, uh, trying to trying to make some gains. But again, I think that the, the demographics are, are very hard uh, for him there. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, even though he's tried to link uh, the, the, the Bill Clinton NAFTA trade policies to, to, to Hillary, uh, she's pushed back very effectively with with Trump's own personal record on outsourcing his hypocrisy on this and it's another place where you know any any lead that he had on the issues uh, on the issues who would be better on the issues on trade has been severely eroded um, by by the message that uh, Clinton and her supporters have been able to get out. I want to add one more state that I don't think was in the materials for us to chat about, and that's Wisconsin. She has um, a lead there, not as healthy as some states like Pennsylvania or Michigan. Um, Again, this is, you know, another state, and we've certainly seen, uh, you know, middle-class, hardworking, blue-collar workers come out in the past fighting against Scott Walker. He is still governor of that state. Um, What's the dynamic there in Wisconsin? 
Yeah, well, again, this is an issue that matters in Wisconsin, manufacturing and trade. Uh, Wisconsin uh, has one of the most, uh, uh, one of the largest manufacturing sectors per capita uh, in the country. It goes back and forth between Indiana and then Ohio is very close behind that. Um, but it is a, you know, it's a state where at the Senate level, um, if you look at it there, Russ Feingold uh, has effectively used trade against Ron Johnson. Johnson and is just hammering him uh, with that, uh, and and it's another place that is that lives and dies with the health of the manufacturing sector. Uh, there's a lot of frustration. Um, I I do think, and again, you know, it's it's a state that that Trump. Um, Trump didn't prevail uh, in in the primary, uh, but I think has some deep skepticism uh, of some of his ideas. And, and I've always, you know, other than Scott Walker, I've always found uh, the you know the voters of of Wisconsin to be pretty rational folks uh, and, and and pretty uh, pr- pretty reform minded uh, and mainstream, but that they see through uh, a lot of uh, a lot of political promises that, that don't have a good policy backstop or. Where there's some hypocrisy, uh, and, and so it's a. Uh, it does not surprise me at all that uh, that, that Clinton's up, uh, that, that Trump's message is not is not penetrating there. I want to talk specifically about some cities and some states. For example, Youngstown, Ohio, in Ohio. Um, this is a state I lived in briefly, Cleveland, for three months back in the day, and I lived for a year in Buffalo, New York. And I say that because both of those cities, you can see the skeletons, if you will, of the steel industry. You can also see what harm it does to communities, you know, over the years, specifically with manufacturing. I'm surprised with all the information that has come out about Donald Trump shipping jobs overseas and Donald Trump using steel from China and taking jobs away from people in communities like Youngstown, Ohio, that he's doing so well in places like Youngstown um, or in Ohio. But the reality is the AAM is a nonpartisan organization. And the reality also is we want the best leader for the American people. Can either presidential candidate rescue this city in Ohio, as an example, Youngstown, Ohio, in your professional opinion, Scott? Yeah, well, that's the, you know, what, what Trump promises is nostalgia, right? Let, let's go back to things the way they were. And, you know, we're just not going to see a steel mill with 20,000 people uh, in today's day and age because there's more productivity, there's more automation. And even Leo Girard would say something like that, who's the president of the of the Steelworkers, and I know he's a good friend of the show, and he's, he's a good friend of mine. Um, and, and so it is a... Uh, yeah, then how do you revive Youngstown? I mean, part of it is is the auto rescue uh, that uh, that Obama sex- successfully executed. Uh, that has a Chevy building uh, its cruise automobiles there. Uh, part of it's finding new types of manufacturing, including 3D printing, uh, and, and that's something that uh, an Obama administration initiative has, has uh, got, gotten underway. Uh, you know, they, they, they focused on strengthening the university there. It's clear that the economy is more diverse, but you're, you're never going to go back to a situation where like 60% of the people worked in a factory. It's just in, in today's day and age uh, with the technology that's available. I, even a manufacturing advocate like myself is going to say, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, and so the folks who are, uh, are really hungry for the nostalgia of the 1950s, 
they're going to feel some disappointment. Uh, but the but the reality, and I think most people understand this, uh, is that is that the economy of the 21st century will look different. But there will be a role for manufacturing that we can have with the right policies. We we can bring some of those factories back. And in fact, uh, you know, there's a pipe and tube factory there in Youngstown, Ohio, that wasn't there just 15 uh, years ago uh, because of some of the the energy delivery opportunities. And so it is possible, uh, but it's not going to look like uh, the Youngstown uh, of the 1950s. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that's just a false, false promise. And I think a lot of people see through that, but, but unfortunately some, some folks are seduced uh, by, by that kind of message in, in modern society. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about what you just were you know, mentioning, Scott, um, the idea of those big factories, maybe some of our mindsets being stuck back in the past and not looking at what's happening in the current and what is the future reality of manufacturing and of uh, factories and their size uh, going forward in America. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM. If you want to join us one more segment with him, God, time just flies when you're having fun here. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. To follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott Paul, AAM, S-C-O-T-T-P-A-U-L-A-A-M, and the website, American Manufacturing. Dot org. Don't go away. We're back with Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. And like I said, folks, just a few more minutes in this segment in this hour with Scott. So if you have questions or comments, call us 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Scott, before the break, you were talking about the days of the huge steel mills where, you know, hundreds, thousands sometimes were employed. Um, But we're seeing uh, some uh, life forms, if you will, by smaller factories. So one of which um, that was written about in Business Day is in Baltimore. It's Marlin Steel Factory. And uh, James Branch um, worked in the steel factory, 40 years of age, and now he's earning over $20 an hour as a skilled machine operator there at Marlin Steel. They're a small maker of specialized metal baskets. And those smaller uh, steel items are used by much bigger manufacturers. A Ford Motor Company, Boeing, Merck, as example. Um, you know, he has a car and uh, rents a two-story, you know, townhouse, and, you know, he's happy and feeling, you know, comfortable. Are these small factories, in a a sense, the wave, hopefully, or the the way we're progressing into the future with regard to manufacturing? Yes, and I'm glad you told that story because you know Marlin Steel uh, that is is repeated uh, you know in in communities across the country from Los Angeles to Buffalo and lots of places in between. Uh, and it will you know it's easier to kind of get your head around the old kind of Henry Ford you know large uh, you know large assembly factory, uh, but the reality is that most of manufacturing are these small mom-and-pop shops, and uh, they're rooted in the community. They want to stay there. They don't want to move the jobs overseas, and more of them are venturing back into urban areas. Uh, in part, that's because where the people are. You know, there, there are, are lots of folks who are uh, interested in, um, in, in, in city life these days, uh, and also uh, because they're closer to customers, they might be closer to uh, infrastructure needs. Um, there's a lot of reasons why they m- want to do it, but I, I'm glad you told the story of the worker because there just are not a lot of other economic opportunities for anybody who 
doesn't have a four-year college degree, who doesn't want a four-year college degree, uh, to make a, uh, a, a livable wage, uh, one where you have some disposable income, can buy a car, can, can rent your own place, um, you know, outside of manufacturing. I mean, they do exist. But but manufacturing is a reliable producer of these types of jobs. Uh, if we have those factories around, so that that's why I talk about policy all the time because it matters. It matters. Tax policy matters to to, to, to those companies like like Marlin Steel. Uh, having the opportunity to have a level playing field on on trade matters to Marlin. Steel having a good educational system where we're teaching uh, the kids uh, STEM education, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, and providing those types of skills is important. Having a vocational training system is incredibly important, uh, and having an infrastructure that works to help people get around uh, into their jobs and get get goods to market is also important. So, so all of that matters, uh, but, but that shows, that story there shows that it is possible, uh, and it occurs on a micro level, uh, but, but when you add that together, uh, it creates some opportunities, and despite all the challenges we've had in manufacturing, Leslie, uh, over the last couple of decades, I mean, since 2010, we've, we've been able to add um, you know, hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs. I mean, we, we lost millions before that, but we've been able to, to generally add manufacturing jobs uh, since 2010, um, and, and I think that with the right policies, that that can continue, uh, even though there are clearly some obstacles that we still have to overcome. Scott, you and I have talked at length about uh, China, uh, Chinese uh, manufacturing, and how you know they have uh, just you know screwed with money and it's affected the American economy. Quartz uh, wrote a piece entitled "A Collision of Chinese Manufacturing, Globalization, and Consumer Ignorance Could Ruin the Internet for Everyone." Now, some people may not think of you know, putting all these things together. But I, I'd like you to comment on this. I think you've probably read this piece or are familiar with it. Um, how does Chinese manufacturing, globalization, and consumer ignorance come together? And how, how could that ruin the Internet for everyone? And not just ruin the Internet, but how do these three play together? Yeah, that's a good question. So you, you remember, and I'm sure your listeners remember, 10 years ago there were a lot of these uh, – uh, product safety scares coming from China, like uh, toys uh, that had too much lead in them, that were unsafe yep. seafood that was... Yeah, uh, I'm a mom of an eight and nine-year-old. I remember those toys. <laughs> there you go. And so uh, there, there were tires that were defective that were coming from from China. Um, uh, the, the, the heparin, you know, blood thinner uh, that was... Uh, in China. So, so there's, there was dog food. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of these new examples, but there's, there was a lot of them. So fast forward now to the to the smartphone era, and you know I don't know Leslie, for instance, if you have like your thermostat hooked up to your to your mobile phone. I just did that, but one of the challenges is uh, that, that there's not enough safety backstops in all of that. Uh, but the other the other backstop or the other factor is that the manufacture of all of this, when it's done in China, it's not done in the same regulatory environment than it, than it is in the United States. And, and by that, I'm saying these regulations are a good thing. We want to make sure that hoverboards aren't going to ex- explode. We want to make sure that connected devices Absolutely. aren't going to have security flaws that allows them to be hacked into. Uh, that's going to that's going to either 
you know, do something insidious to our electrical grid or, or even something something at home uh, to, to your appliance. And it is a there's not nearly enough attention or oversight. Uh, uh, played to this, and it hasn't caught up with with uh, where the market is uh, today. And it's a serious problem, and uh, it means better safety inspections, but it also means an opportunity for American manufacturers and for have more of this stuff made in the United States, where we know uh, there 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 is a less uh, less of a chance of uh, of of both faulty production, uh, but also uh, a, a chance for hackers necessarily to, uh, to, to, to embed uh, malware or something like that into our devices that are connected to the Internet of Things. Not nearly enough attention paid to this, uh, but it's something that every consumer uh, should be thinking about. I want to ask, uh, you have less than a minute, very quickly, what do you think uh, is going to happen after the U.S. election uh, with respect to China? Do you think things will be harder for China? Yeah, I, I think that there is no doubt. And I think look, Obama has certainly pushed back on China much harder than George Bush did for, for eight years. Uh, but, but there's still room there. And, uh, you know, obviously Trump, uh, with a lot of bluster, has said what he's going to do. Uh, but, but uh, you know, Hillary Clinton has said, you know, her, her trade priority is not the TPP, Leslie. It's appointing a special trade prosecutor. And when you're looking at what I would call trade crimes, I mean, you know, you can't go to jail from most of this stuff, but 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 the the trade cheating, I, I mean, most of that is related to to the Chinese government's practices. So, fully expect uh, that there will be a uh, a pushback on right. some of these practices from the administration and from the Congress.